Give a reservation Indian a present, and he will possibly provide you with sacred songs, a mythology, and folklore to order. My little book does not pretend to be a scientific treatise. It is as true as I can make it to my childhood teaching and ancestral ideals, but from the human, not the ethnological standpoint. I have not cared to pile up more dry bones, but to clothe them with flesh and blood. So much as has been written by strangers of our ancient faith and worship treats it chiefly as matter of curiosity. I should like to emphasize its universal quality, its personal appeal. The first missionaries, good men, imbued with the narrowness of their age, branded us as pagans and devil worshippers, and demanded of us that we abjure our false gods before bowing the knee at their sacred altar. They even told us that we were eternally lost unless we adopted a tangible symbol and professed a particular form of their hydra-headed faith. We of the twentieth century know better. We know that all religious aspiration, all sincere worship, can have but one source and one goal. We know that the God of the lettered and the unlettered, of the Greek and the barbarian, is after all the same God. And, like Peter, we perceive that he is no respecter of persons, but that in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is acceptable to him. Charles A. Eastman, Oyesa 1. The Great Mystery The original attitude of the American Indian toward the eternal, the great mystery that surrounds and embraces us, was as simple as it was exalted. To him it was the supreme conception, bringing with it the fullest measure of joy and satisfaction possible in this life. The worship of the great mystery was silent, solitary, free from all self-seeking. It was silent because all speech is of necessity feeble and imperfect. Therefore the souls of my ancestors ascended to God in wordless adoration. It was solitary because they believed that He is nearer to us in solitude, and there were no priests authorized to come between a man and his Maker. None might exhort or confess or in any way meddle with the religious experience of another. Among us all men were created sons of God and stood erect as conscious of their divinity. Our faith might not be formulated in creeds, nor forced upon any who were unwilling to receive it. Hence there was no preaching, proselyting, nor persecution, neither were there any scoffers or atheists. There were no temples or shrines among us save those of nature. Being a natural man, the Indian was intensely poetical. He would deem it sacrilege to build a house for him who may be met face to face in the mysterious shadowy aisles of the primeval forest, 
or on the sunlit bosom of virgin prairies, upon dizzy spires and pinnacles of naked rock, and yonder in the jeweled vault of the night sky. He who enrobes himself in filmy veils of clouds, there on the rim of the visible world, where our great-grandfather sun kindles his evening campfire, he who rides upon the rigorous wind of the north, or breathes forth his spirit upon aromatic southern airs, whose war canoe is launched upon majestic rivers and inland seas, he needs no lesser cathedral. That solitary communion with the unseen, which was the highest expression of our religious life, is partly described in the word bombide, literally mysterious feeling, which has been variously translated.